I think you might be cursed, comments the man with swoopy brown hair and a navy blue suit, while looking at my pile of losing raffle tickets. I think you might be right, I say with a defeated little laugh and a smile. He gestures to his seat where three gift baskets crowd the place setting. You have to know how to play the odds, he says with a wink. There are no odds. This is a raffle. You want better odds? You buy more tickets. There, I've cracked the code. God, I love it when men try to make simple shit look like an accomplishment. I bet he can button his own pants, too. Obviously, I don't say any of that. I light up my eyes as though he's just shown me a wild boar he took down with his bare hands and say, wow, next time I'm sitting next to you. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Proximity to other winners has nothing to do with winning a raffle either. But it sounds like a compliment. And that's all he needs. Why wait, he says. There are two seats open at the bar. Can I buy you a drink? That sounds great, I say. I could use a break from all this craziness. Nothing here is crazy. It's a charity auction for former Ivy Leaguers full of big wallet energy and pompous laughter. But it is very important that I seem overwhelmed and possibly a little fragile. So I go on. I don't blame you, he says. These guys can be a little much. I smile and follow his lead. Got him. We have a drink and flirt. I put my hand on his arm when he tells me a daring story that involves a boat. I think he just wanted to tell me that he has a boat. And he brushes an invisible wisp of hair from my forehead when I ask why he doesn't have a date this evening. My wife and I are separated, he says. It's complicated. Marriage is hard, I agree. Are you married, he asks. Way too late into this game for the answer to matter. My husband passed away last year, I say, looking into my lap like a sad, sad little girl. I relax my left shoulder so the strap of my dress slides down my arm a little. He reaches over and slides it back up. Oh, I'm so sorry, he says. Clearly not sorry at all. I can see the gears turn in his head. He's thinking that, as a widow, I'll probably be easy to get into bed as my emotions are all over the place. And I'm probably desperate for affection. My husband is dead, and yet I'm at this fancy pants event, so I probably live in a nice place, alone. And judging by my inability to win raffles, make friends, and influence people, I'm probably the kind of gal who likes to be rescued. He thinks he's hit the jackpot which is just what I want. You look so familiar, he says. Do we know each other? Maybe from college? Um, no, I don't think so, I say. I just have a familiar sort of face. We have another drink, and then he invites himself back to my place for a nightcap. I, in turn, act as though he's doing me an enormous favor. We call for a cab. He pays and we take the six-minute drive back to my building. I greet the doorman, and we take the elevator to the penthouse. The door is open, and we are already inside. Wow, he says, a little stunned and drunk. This is a really nice place. 
What did your husband do for a living? You piece of shit. Of course you assume he made all the money. Oh, something in finance, I say. I never really understood it. I never really had a husband in the first place. I own this whole building, but I don't live here. I rent out the penthouse for a small fortune, mostly to bachelorette parties and influencers attending fashion shows. Never shit where you eat. How about I make us a drink, I say. He nods and says, great. Staggering just a little. Make yourself comfortable, I say with a smile. He immediately takes off his jacket and plops down on the wine-colored sofa. Men like him think they own every room they enter. I pour two glasses of wine and stand in the kitchen for a moment, observing. I watch him look around the room, scanning for pictures of my husband so he can see if he's hotter. I don't usually keep personal effects here, but I've made an exception for the occasion. On the bookcase lining the wall are a parade of framed photos, each of me and a different man. There are 17 in total. The men are all vaguely too very familiar to him. And he finds this perplexing, so he stumbles back to the couch. I think he's just kind of confused and mulling things over, but then he nods a bit and starts to list sideways. His eyes flutter, his chin drops, and his eyes start to close. He starts to lay himself down, but before he can do so gracefully, he falls over and rolls onto his back. Fuck. That's how you choke on your own vomit, I say out loud and walk calmly over to the sofa. And that's not how either of us wants this to end, is it? I sit down, sip my wine, and gather my thoughts. Lightweight. That was only the first dose. A few moments later, he drifts back into consciousness, but his hands are tied together, and he's too woozy to get to his feet. He looks at me through bleary eyes. I think we do know each other, he says thickly. No, I say. You don't know me, but you knew my brother. And then, through the fog of the roofie, flashed lightning-bright clarity. Fifteen years ago, my brother walked into a party at your fraternity house, I say. He wasn't a member or an invited guest, but he wanted to see how the other half lived. When you and your brothers caught on, you chased him down and fed him shots until he couldn't see straight. Then somehow, he fell off a 15th floor balcony and died. You told the judge he was pledged and you were all so wasted that you thought he might actually survive the fall. They believed you. The teachers believed you. The administration believed you. Hell, my parents even believed you. But I didn't. I knew my brother tried to pledge your fraternity, but you turned him down. I knew that. You knew that. And the brothers knew that. But there wasn't any proof. You guys did seem very convincing when you said you thought a person could survive that fall, though. So I thought, I don't know, maybe you'd like to test it out for yourselves. One at a time. 
until none of you were left. I just pretended to be looking for love. It was almost too easy. Men win battles with strength and armies. I had neither, but luckily I'm not a man. Women win battles with their wits, and those I have in spades. A couple days later, it was all over the news. Billionaire found dead outside an upscale penthouse apartment building. According to investigators, he fell from a 15th floor balcony while intoxicated. This was the 18th member of the so-called cursed fraternity to meet their end through a catastrophic fall. Police have called it the most bizarre series of coincidences they've ever seen. Bizarre indeed. You messed with the wrong lady. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. since we began. So three years now. So we're officially a serial podcast. Yes. Three or more, man. We did it. We did it. (laughs) Call the police. (laughs) Call the damn cops. (laughs) No, please don't. Don't. (laughs) Don't do that. We're good. So every year we find some wild Irish stories and folklore for you guys here on the podcast and live streamed on the social media internet. So Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be Facebook Live this time. That's what we discussed. Yes? I think. I mean, it already happened. It's happening happening tonight. It's happening tonight. That's right. (laughs) All right. So you guys. We'll have known by this point. So will you. Yeah, you know, you know, too. (laughs) It's probably already out there and I just can't remember things. But anyway, yeah, we did them both. And then we have a grand old round the world toast. And it's really fun. And we love traditions. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some St. Patrick's Day fun. And hopefully we're going to see a lot of you guys at our live stream tonight. Yes. Yeah. So or hopefully we saw you if you're listening to this. If it's later, yeah, we saw we saw you on um, Wednesday yeah. when we were live and we told stories and played games and had a grand old time. Yeah. Anyway, last year we brought you the tale of Darkie Kelly. The year before it was the Jameson Cannibal Incident, which has been very hard to top. <laughs> And our first St. Patrick's Day episode was our introduction to the land of the fairies with the changeling murder of Bridget Clary. Mm. This year, we're bringing you the legend of Red Mary. Mm, I'm excited. I know, it's a good one. And that's not to be confused with Bloody Mary. That's a whole other legend, and you'll have to go back to one of our pandemic campfire nights to hear it. But this one is a story of love, war, revenge, violence, an angry ghost, and a wild stallion. Oh, my. I know. It has everything, right? Just waiting for that wild stallion to pop up in a story, and today's your, your chance. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Now, I know it's not a Bloody Mary story, but I thought, eh, maybe there's still a mirror game that I can try after all. Maybe her ghost likes the mirror too. You never know. You don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So after researching for hours, I went up to my bathroom, took a deep breath, gazed into my mirror, and screamed. (gasps) Sure enough, a terrifying, grizzled old hag was staring judgmentally back at me. Oh my God. I know. This is pretty scary, right? Yeah. I was ready to run for my life. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's just me. Yeah. The same thing happened to me on Tuesday. Did it? It's terrible, yeah, right? It's horrifying. So scary. Guys. So embarrassing. Ugh. I mean, I'm really trying to rid this old face off. I already mm-hmm. have prescription mm-hmm. face cream. She does. I do. So the only thing left to try is a healing spritz of validation. A hill worth dying on. Soulful this week. Yeah. Leslie was really <laughs> feeling it. So you're not going to believe this, Leslie. What? Our fiends can get us that priceless ingredient free of charge. How? But how, you must be asking yourself. Yeah. I know. I can hear it all the way over here. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Mm. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention. Attention equals support. And support equals more and better content for you. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry. You don't have to. Oh, my God. Isn't that great? It's great. You can support us over on Patreon. There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. Great. Yeah, it's a nice family. It is. We love each other. Mm-hmm. We never fight. Nope. Perfect. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. That's a good one. That is the best one. You can leave a comment, post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell that neighbor that's on like her fourth husband and you would judge her. But honestly, she looks fabulous and she's clearly having a very good time. Claire. Claire. All right. I think she'd be a fun addition. Yeah. I think she'd really spice up any party. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know she's bringing the good cocktails. She's always in shape. She has tons of money. Yes. And she'll have parties at her house, which has a pool. Mm-hmm. And that a was pool from boy. her third husband, <laughs> Armando. That's right. <laughs> Surprise! That's Claire's house. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is coming together now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the one that married. She moved in with Daniel. Mm. So we were like on the rocks, but we're cool now. We're cool now. Mm-hmm. We like her. We all like right. her. Okay. We can handle Claire. Yeah. Well, then your friends and Claire can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Yeah. Daniel's actually the one that told her. So he listened to this. I mean, it's all working according it to is. plan. Yeah. Yeah. But now we have Daniel's pool. So all of this like is a triple win. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> That's because it's St. Patrick's Day. 
Our St. Patrick's Day episode, always a good thing. Mm -hmm. See, there you go. All right. uh, I think think that's all I have in the way of announcements for this week. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly, being as it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing new. Man. Yeah. It was so close for a minute there. <laughs> All right, fine. On with the show. Okay. Before we begin with this story, this week it's like a, it's a legend. There has to be some ambiance to it. Okay. So let's let's set the stage. Let's set it up, okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine we have just stepped into an old Irish pub. The window panes are thick and wavy. Everything is made of deeply polished wood and brass. Even though they've been there for centuries, you just know this place was not originally wired for light bulbs. And thus, it has rejected their incandescent light by filtering it in a way that somehow still makes the place seem candlelit. It is late in the afternoon. Still light out, but the light is fading fast, and it's raining. The gray sky is heavy and feels lower than usual. The rain is coming down fast, but it is fine, like the mist off a furious waterfall. Inside, we are warm and cozy, with the damp remnants of our short walk from our inn still on our coats and hats. We shake out our umbrellas and leave them in stand by the door that is certainly older than our great-great-grandparents and find two seats at the bar. We drink our pints and chat. It is so cozy in here, and the weather is so bad out there that we just decide to stay for another, and then another. And before we know it, hours have passed. Slowly, the bar filters out as the dinner rush comes and goes. And before we know it, we are one of the few people remaining in the pub. But the bartender doesn't seem bothered. He's poured his own whiskey and seems in no hurry to brave the elements either. We look around the bar, seeing what appear to be a few regulars, locals, we think, and one older gentleman with weathered skin who has kept on his herringbone hat and wool scarf. That's like, almost like a little newsy. Oh, oh yeah, I picture. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He looks as though he is somehow still outside, bundled up like that, or, or that he is made of the outside, woven from the slate-gray chilly tapestry that lies beyond the windows. And I think he looks familiar. Maybe we have seen him before at the Jameson Distillery mm. a couple years ago, mm-hmm. maybe? Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. Yeah. He lives in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in all our souls. He does. We love him. But he gets no name. No. For he is mysterious as the wind. For sure. Now, our conversation drifts from our personal lives and favorite gossip to the things we would still like to see while we're here. We mention the ruins of an ancient castle that sits out in the countryside along the road. It is unlike other castles that we have seen in that it hasn't been preserved and there appears to be no option for a guided tour. This has only increased our interest and curiosity and we start to plan a drive out there the next day, thinking we may be able to just walk right up to it and find out more for ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we'll just go and look at this abandoned castle, and we'll pretend like that wouldn't make Leslie horribly nervous and then fall asleep. No, castles are fine. Oh, castles are fine? Okay, good. Mm -hmm. 
as we're talking of this, we get kind of lost in our plans. And then we hear a voice from across the bar interrupt with purpose. That'd be Lamana Castle. It's not open to the public, but you can still go inside. It's the old man in the hat and scarf. <gasps> He's more gravelly than that. I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> you mean like there's a self-guided tour or something or maybe plaques out there with information on it? We ask in our American silly girl way. Mm -hmm. No, he says, there are no plaques. I mean, there are no locks or barricades. There's nothing stopping you from going inside. Oh, good. See, you love it. <laughs> <laughs> we remark on how strange that is. And if such a historic site were in America, totally unmonitored and open to the public, it would certainly have been destroyed ages ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We just cannot have nice things. No. Or we just need to make money from them, so. And we don't have any old things. So, yeah. None of that's working over here. The old man scoffs. <sighs> Trying to scoff. <laughs> ugh, ugh. <laughs> Americans. <laughs> Seeming to agree with the fact that Americans are not very respectful of history. And then he adds, we don't need barricades. If you're from La Mana, you know better than to risk walking around that old castle lest you want to spend the rest of your life haunted by the sounds of Red Mary laughing, backed by a chorus of agonizing screams. Oh. He's always creepy. Yeah. He does this to us every time. But our interest is definitely piqued. Yeah, I'm still good with a castle haunting, so we're fine. All right, okay, good. You mean there are ghosts out there? We ask, still trying to be casual, cool Americans. This is Ireland. There are ghosts everywhere, mm -hmm. he says with a knowing laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but Red Mary is a particularly nasty one, not a spirit you'd want to cross. Mm. Ooh, we're hooked. Yeah, definitely. We make our way over closer to this man. We want to sit next to him now and we buy him a pint in exchange for telling us the whole story. Okay. We're like, here's a beer. Tell us all of it. Though we expect he probably would have told us for free, but still, yeah. it's a nice gesture. And so we settle in for a gruesome tale. And just in case you weren't listening to our friend from the Jameson Distillery, let me tell it back to you one more time. In 1615, amongst the jagged cliffs and green rolling hills of County Clare, a baby named Myra McMahon, that's, there it is, was born. Now, it's like a cross between Moira and Myra. And mm -hmm. if I say it not perfectly, apologies. It's spelled M-A-I-R-E. So Myra grew into a strong-willed little girl with a quick temper and a blaze of fiery red hair. Because of this, she was known in her village as Myra Rua, which in modern English translates to Red Mary and Moira Rose. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> Amazing. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, Myra. That's why she's always wearing wigs. Yeah. To hide it. Mm -hmm. Hide the red. Gotta hide it. <laughs> exactly. She's just an old ghost. Yeah. <laughs> really love this theory. Let's keep it up. So, Myra grew into a lovely but stubborn young woman. In 1634, she was married to a man named Daniel Nyland. Myra and Daniel's marriage had been arranged by their families, as was the custom back then. That's not uncommon. And once it had been carried out, Myra moved into O'Day Castle, which was across the way, 
still in County Clare. A lot of castles about, mm-hmm. just all over the place, yeah. I guess. So Moira and Daniel had three sons, William, Daniel II, and Michael. In 1639, Daniel I, who fought with the British army in the Spanish War. I don't know which Spanish War. Everything just says the Spanish War. Okay. The one that happened at that point in time in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So Daniel I fighting in the Spanish War, and he is killed in battle. Okay. Ugh. So sad. Yeah. This left Myra with three sons and an estate to care for all on her own, which simply would not do. Mm. Moira Rose would never suffer the indignities of having to raise her own children. No. And neither would Myra Rua. Seven months after her first husband's untimely death, Myra married her cousin, Connor O'Brien of Lamana. Yeah, her cousin. I know. What year is this again? 16, it was 1639, so 1640. Okay. hmm And this is, Lamana is also, I know, is also in County Clare. And I get the impression that she just really didn't want to leave town. Right. She's like, I like it here. So I'm going to just find another place to go here. Right. She's just comfortable with what she knows. Right. Exactly. Hence marrying her cousin mm-hmm. and staying in town. Exactly. <laughs> this was not a co- time when cousin marriage was super uncommon, though. It right. It was a thing that definitely happened. It's definitely not awesome for the gene pool, mm-hmm. but uh, there's nothing we can really do about that now. It's not her brother. It's son. not her brother. Or uncle. That's right. <laughs> it's It's her cousin. But they did have eight children. Oh, wow. So you just know that one of them was like a little weird. Yeah. Wow, healthy marriage. <laughs> yeah, man. That's for anybody keeping track. So she had eight more children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's like 11 children. Yeah. So she's got a full house. Okay. Now, got all these children. Connor had a five-story tower house that was um, belonged to his family. That's on his property in Lamana. And the family had built this in the 15th century, so it's been there forever. But, you know, when you're used to a castle, mm-hmm. you kind of can't go back to a house. No. So Myra and Connor were married. And um, after that, they expanded the tower house by adding a whole entire manor house. Okay. And thus, Lamana Castle was born. Okay. So, I mean, they have 11 children. I know. And, like, she lived in a castle. Yeah. You're not just going to go live in a tower house. Don't settle. No, do not settle. Build another castle. Mm -hmm. And so they did. Moira's first marriage uh, and experience as the lady of a castle seemed to have further hardened her. So she was stubborn before, and now she's like stubborn and mean. Mm. She was not a woman who was content to leave her husband in charge and spend time reflecting in her garden or bathing her skin in rose water or whatever fancy ladies did back then that both of us would be perfectly content to do, most likely. But she was not. No, no, no. During the Confederate Wars in Ireland, which was from 1641 to 1653, Connor O'Brien led and financed one of the five militia companies of County Clare, whose job it was to raid tower houses of English settlers that had been planted in the area during the preceding century. English and the Irish always fighting. Right. What a time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Moira sees this as an opportunity and insists on going along with her husband on these raids. She's like, we're raiding? I'm going. Okay. Let's raid. So she would ride into... Rubbish sale. I know. (laughs) Let's find stuff. (laughs) So she would get on her horse and ride right beside him in front of everybody. She was like leading the charge with him. 
into these tower homes to take what they could and any means necessary. So this is basically like pillage and plunder type situation. Right. She was just vintage shopping. For sure. <laughs> for Wait till you find out what for. <laughs> In depositions relating to the Irish Rebellion of 1641, a man named Gregory Hickman stated that, quote, Connor O'Brien, gentleman in a most rebellious manner, seized upon the deponent's corn. Ooh. Took all that corn. Okay. And later, Connor O'Brien of Lamana, accompanied by Mary O'Brien, so now we're going by Mary, and others with a force of arms came to the deponent's house and took away 14 English swine and a parcel of household stuff. Also, 400 sheep. Okay. So that's some good stuff. Yeah. Household stuff. Yeah. 400 sheep. And swine. And swine and corn. Yeah. Okay. Such so having a feast, some milk. It's going to be great. They got stuff. It's great. Cheese, mm-hmm. goat cheese. Woo. Yeah. Goat soap. Maybe some silver. Yeah. Some utensils and stuff. Okay. Could be anything. And maybe they needed so They have a lot of children. And a castle now. And most likely those kids are throwing out forks with their plates. So like exactly. they and need it's not more like silverware. They could have registered back then. Everyone's so spread out. This is like a registry. Exactly. They're doing really well. Okay. No one at that point in time had ever seen a woman so ruthless and powerful. And I know what people are going to be like, but, but, but there were yeah. other women. Not in that area. Like you didn't yeah. really, there was no national news. You yeah. didn't like see beyond your front mm-hmm. door. So this was like a... a an anomaly. Yeah, we didn't have a Paul Revere to like <laughs> go from down. The to British down. are coming. They're all women. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Got his little lantern. <laughs> There's so many women. <laughs> That's a different story altogether. <laughs> that got Leslie, you guys. <laughs> Oh, I'm crying. It's okay. The American Ladies' oh, Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a whole okay. other story. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so because she is a woman who possessed within her seemingly great power, rumors immediately began that Mary Rua was a witch. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Any woman that had an opinion or a drop of power was a witch back then. Right. Where do you get your powers from? The devil. The devil, obviously. Yeah. He probably sent you a weird little pet that follows you around, too. Yeah. I bet you have a freckle on your arm. Yeah. It's the 1600s. Everybody was a witch. Mm-hmm. From then on, anyone who lost a battle to Connor O'Brien and his men would claim that, quote, his good fortunes in battle were due to his wife's witchcraft. Oh. So they wouldn't let him win. They were like, you only won because your wife's a witch. <laughs> Even so, he seemed unstoppable. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So we got a little magic going on, a little witchcraft. Seems like we always have an element of magic in our St. Patrick's Day episodes. So I think this is a good time for me to, like, just take a little break. Okay. And, Leslie, do you, I don't know, do you have anything Irish for our listeners? Maybe something festive or, dare I say, a tradition? Oh, well, Holly, I do. <gasps> You do? I do. Today's segment is brought to you by Leslie's Leprechaun Lessons. Today is your lucky day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Leslie's Leprechaun Lessons. <laughs> Welcome back for another year of <laughs> Leslie's Leprechaun Lessons. Welcome back after a whole year. A whole year. <laughs> Thank you for returning. We waited the whole time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Leprechauns are more than just a fairy tale. They're listed as an endangered species what? under European law. Mm-hmm. 
the Live Boy Loop Trail in the town of Carlingford in Ireland. And I probably really fucked that up, so I do apologize. <laughs> I'm sure it's perfect. <laughs> Is known as the officially protected land for the country's 236 living leprechauns. Where are they? Okay. I want to see talk them. about it. Where are they? In 1989, P.J. O'Hare woke up early to weed the flower beds outside his pub. Gotta do it. The sun was just rising and his neighbors were still asleep, so the activity was quite calming. That is, until he heard a piercing scream coming from the area of the Slate Rock on Foy Foy Mountain. Alarmed, P.J. cautiously headed toward the Slate Rock. When he arrived, the only thing there was him. What? Before turning around, he looked one last time. Near where he stood was a wishing well, and upon looking closer, he noticed a small green suit and hat and a scattering of bones lying on top of scorched earth. It was just him screaming. Did he hear himself? Yeah. <laughs> Still, that's scary. Continue. Thinking, what the fuck? He decided not to call the damn cops. He picked up the suit and found four gold coins in the trouser pockets. Oh, sweet. Score. Win. Yeah. He had found the remains of a real-life leprechaun. Was it tiny? Yeah, it's like little bones. It'll be in the, okay. the suite okay. this week. I can't wait to see it. Being a businessman, he realized how great this was. He immediately displayed the outfit and the bones in a glass case for his patrons and tourists to see. I want to go! Yeah. The gold coins were not in the case. PJ kept those safe, so no one has, like, seen them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no one has seen them recently. Okay. At so this point, somebody at this did point, at one point, though. At this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. He had shown them, but then he, like, didn't put them, they're, like, not in the case. You know? All right. The story was told far and wide, and thousands came to the pub to see the remnants of the leprechaun themselves. Many believed his tale, but not those closest to him. One man in particular, PJ's best friend, Kevin Woods, known locally as McQuilteth. <laughs> I worked so hard on that pronunciation guide. Was like, Quilta. Quilta. Thought his friend was just trying to draw in more patrons. And so, as hard as that was for me to say just now, I'm just going to go with Kevin the rest of the time. That's his name. But they do call him McQuilta. Of course, that's what you would choose if given the opportunity to choose that or Kevin. Or Kevin Woods. McQuilta. I don't know. Obviously, the other one is better. (laughs) PJ died a few years later never able to convince his friend Kevin that what he saw was real, despite his persistence. Being a good friend, though, Kevin kept up PJ's property for him after his death. While fixing an old stone wall on his property on Gone Road in Carlingford, he came across an old leather purse hidden in a wall cavity. Inside the purse were four gold coins. Get out! Kevin was sure these were the coins PJ must have found all those years ago. Maybe PJ's story wasn't total bullshit then. And did he leave these here knowing that Kevin would find them? Or were they left there for some other lucky bastard to find? Either way, they were real gold coins and worth keeping. Yeah, man, now he had them. Yeah. So Kevin kept the coins on him most days. He had thought about pawning them, but just never got around to it. Over the years, they started to just feel like good luck charm and a nice way to remember his friend. okay. While walking his dog one morning, they crossed Carlingford Mountain and were stopped in their tracks at the sight of three leprechauns sitting on a rock. It was a shocking and confusing sight, but one neither he or the dog could react to. 
as they were unable to move or speak or even hear. They were just paralyzed. Kevin mm-hmm. stared at the leprechauns as they chatted with one another, seemingly uninterested in the human and dog that happened upon them. I want to know what they were saying. I want to know what they sounded we like. We, we don't, he Ugh. doesn't know. He couldn't hear them. I'm so upset. After a short time, they vanished under a rock. Once they were out of sight, Kevin and his dog regained motor function. Okay. On their walk home, he debated whether to tell his wife about what he saw, as he wasn't even sure if he saw what he saw. He decided it would be best to just let it go, because he's like, she'll think I'm crazy. Yeah, she will. When he arrived home, his wife was worried and annoyed. She wondered where her husband had been all day. All day, Kevin thought. (laughs) (laughs) Slow down. Relax. Relax. <laughs> Whoa, just took the dog for a walk, bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't say that. He's a very He's nice so man. He's so nice. We yeah. love Kevin. Mm-hmm. He reminded her that he went for a walk with the dog like he does every morning. Today's walk was a little longer, but he thought that he was only gone for maybe like an hour and a half. This response only angered his wife more. Oh, no. An hour and a half? You left just after breakfast and now it's past dinner. It's eight o'clock, Kevin. Oh, Kevin! <laughs> Gathering his thoughts and realizing his wife was correct, Kevin quickly pieced together that while he and the dog were transfixed at the sight of the leprechauns, they must have lost more time than he realized. Oh, man. Those leprechauns were talking for a while. They were just like out. It was like seven hours. They were just chatting. What do you have to chat about for seven hours? No, when you're a leprechaun, you've seen some shit. Yeah, wild. Mm Mm-hmm. So as much as he wanted to spare his wife the tale, he decided it was best if he were honest. Yeah, that probably sounded much better. She's probably really relieved when he said, I was frozen by leprechauns. Yeah, don't worry, honey. I wasn't like out at the pub Uh, drinking. I wasn't cheating on you. Of course. I just was paralyzed by the sight of leprechauns. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. Honesty is not always the best (laughs) policy. (laughs) No. His wife was not impressed with his story. No. Could not believe that bullshit he was trying to give her. No. For the next three weeks, they did not speak. Of course they didn't. Till finally one day, and this is the way he writes it. Of course. She thawed out. (laughs) I don't care for this. I know. Kevin. That was so funny. Kevin. She thawed thawed out. out. Uh. She just decided to let it go. She still did not believe his tall or short tail. But as long as they didn't talk about it again, she was fine to move on. Just shut up about the goddamn leprechauns. Fine. Yeah. Though he hadn't convinced his wife, Kevin was now a believer. He wished his friend PJ was still alive to say, I told you so. Yeah, man. Kevin thought surely he couldn't be the only believer in the area. If he and PJ both had experiences, there must be others. Sure enough, Kevin rounded up a group of like-minded rascals. I mean, yeah, (laughs) of course he did. Come on, man. That's like saying, I believe in UFOs. Do you think there's another one of me? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. there are. There are. (laughs) In 2002, the group began to campaign for the mountain that was home to the leprechauns to be made a protected area by the European Union. His wish was finally granted in 2009. (laughs) I could just see them constantly going (laughs) to these like... (laughs) Guys, he's like city council But the meetings. leprechauns. <laughs> right, 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 right. City water. Leprechauns. It's just, I can just picture like Leslie Nope, yeah, like yeah. running. 100%. <laughs> Be like, all right, we have. The leprechaun yeah. guys are back. Kevin Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So his wish was finally granted in 2009 when it was made into a uh, preserve under the EU Habitats Directive. The EU officials agreed to add the leprechauns as a protected species because they could not prove nor disprove their existence. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's their laugh, too, what you just did. (laughs) Well, Kevin, we can't say it didn't happen, so here's a plaque. Is that not a Leslie Nope decision? Absolutely it is. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? He won. Yeah. And there is a plaque that will also be in the... Um, I for sure looked up all the pictures. Suites. Yeah. It's great. First of all, those bones are hilarious. Yeah. It's adorable. They're like huge bones in weird spots. Yeah. <laughs> and the outfit is way better. Yeah. That it's cute similar. little outfit. First of all, that outfit was not on fire. It's in, it's intact. It's perfect. Yeah. Also, why was that one on fire? Why was it like burnt to a crisp in the well, woods? Well, that's what happened. It was like, it like must have, um, I feel like the leprechaun like disintegrated. So it was just like a... And left like behind his bones bone. and his clothes. Yeah, just burned off his skin. Oh, I don't like that. And I assume that his clothes were fire retardant. Of course. And the other ones could just halt time and chat. Because that one that he came out upon first was a dud. Right. Got it. Okay. Which might happen more often than we think. We just might not be in the direction of the leprechauns. Like, if we were just walking, yeah. and we might have been, like, looking a different way, yeah. but maybe we just, like, stopped still and didn't realize and then continued on. Could have just been leprechauns hanging out. Probably. That's probably why I'm lost all the time, because I see uh, an abundance of leprechauns. Probably. And I just, like, you don't remember. stop in time for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, sure. All right. Though Kevin had a supportive group who believed his tale and had tales of their own, it still bothered him that some of his friends were as stubborn as he had once been. He decided that the best way to convince someone that leprechauns are really living in Collingford and worth protecting was to find them. So he arranged a leprechaun hunt. Oh, Kevin. In which he hid five ceramic leprechauns and 2,000 Irish pounds of prize money in total under each anyone who could find them. He's, Kevin's got some money. He reasoned that in looking for the ceramic leprechauns, one of the hunters might accidentally come across a real leprechaun. You know, like we're going to be looking for things. You're going to be turning stuff upside down. You might come across. Sure, 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 sure. The area that we had just finally like protected. I feel like this is quite a gamble, but all right. There were no sightings. No, okay. (laughs) But Kevin and others would not be deterred. They continue to hold the hunt each year starting at 2 p.m. in March when the clocks spring forward. That was just this past Sunday. Oh, so we just had it. We just had it. Thousands show up for it, and to this day, no genuine little folk have turned up from these annual hunts. But that's mm. not to say that they never showed up again. So Kevin met up with some of the leprechauns of years course. after his first encounter. It turns out that one of the gold coins he has allows him to see and talk to them. Of course it does. Yeah. This has allowed him to communicate fairly regularly with the elder of the clan, Get a out. leprechaun called Carrig. Well, yeah. yeah. Through his conversations with Carrig, he has learned that there are a surviving 236 leprechauns who live below the Slate Rock in Carlingford Co. Louth. Okay. I think is how you pronounce it. Sure. Carrig wanted their story to be told. There had been millions of them in Ireland, and they had all died out. All that were left in the whole of Ireland were 236. 
the only species in the world that could help them survive were humans. I don't know how we help them survive. Uh, uh, yeah, but, we're not doing um, a very good job. And the suit, bones, and coins were employed to gain the attention of someone, anyone. Anybody. Just, we're, here. we're here. Okay. <laughs> yes, said the elder. Yeah. So did they just kill one of their, they only, so did they have 237? And then they, they burned up one of them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's for the cause. Yeah. I'm sorry. You drew the short straw. Yeah. To oh. flames you go. <laughs> Maybe they drew the tall straw. Maybe. That would be more inconvenient if you were tiny. Yeah. And thus, Kevin is now known as Ireland's last leprechaun whisperer. <laughs> Kevin. I really like how the local government at this point is like, what? Whatever you want, Kevin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's two, 239. Yep. Yeah. Cool. 236. Six, sorry. 236. Yeah. So you can take his tours any time of the year. You can meet Kevin Woods. 150%. If I were there, I would take that tour. Yeah, we would absolutely take this tour. Oh my God, I want to go. You can even go into the underground caverns where the leprechauns live. So Kerrig actually shared with him (laughs) one of of the several entrances, which I think there might be like five in that town. Mm -hmm. Um, And he only showed him one of them. The other ones are pretty secretive. And so I think we're actually able to go into some of these caverns and see, mm. but we can't really get to where they fully live full time. But the caverns all connect throughout Ireland. So they oh. can like go all over the place. But yeah, so it's really fun. There's all these tours that you can take and different like folklore stories in the area. But this one is like a real leprechaun tale. Kevin. From the whisperer himself. Well, Mc- McQuilta. You couldn't ask for anything more. <laughs> At least I don't think you could. And um, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes for where you can take that tour. Please. I want (laughs) to take that tour. And the pictures are great. Yeah. And my story doesn't have a ton of pictures considering it took place a million years ago. Yeah. And there's like two paintings (laughs) of this woman. Yeah. So more leprechauns. Yay. And that was Leslie's Leprechaun Lessons. Today is your lucky day. Yeah. Was our lucky day. It was our lucky day. That was a very good one. Thank you. I like that one. Ooh, Kevin. Oh, boy. Okay, so there's witchcraft. There's leprechauns. What what doesn't Ireland have? And wizardry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have any wizardry right now. That doesn't mean it's not there. But I don't have any in this episode. All right. So back to Red Mary. Now. She's going on raids with her husband. Everyone's having a crazy time. They think she's a witch because he's winning all these battles and they won't give him credit for just, I don't know, winning. Mm -hmm. But raids weren't the only way Red Mary showed the world her vicious side. Do you think in her time off, she just like sat around and cared for her, you know, eight mildly inbred children and three other children? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, she, no, no. she did not. No. No, she ran. She's not going to care for her own children. We've already discussed this. What is she, a farmer? (laughs) No. She ran the grounds of Lamana Castle with an iron fist. So she had lots of very strict rules she wanted the staff to abide Mm -hmm, by. mm -hmm. And servants who broke the rules, no matter how arbitrary their rule breaking was, would really suffer some serious consequences. So if they were men, they were just straight up hanged. And there's, there's more fun for ladies in a few minutes. Also, travelers who dared set foot on her land uninvited were denied passage. 
So her husband had also, after they constructed the manor house, you know, mm-hmm. to make it a castle, right. he put big gates outside the castle. So like nobody could just come and go. You had to have permission. And if you were just crossing there to get somewhere else, they would stop you and be like, absolutely not, you're trespassing. And if they caught you trespassing, even again, if you were just a traveler, you were also hanged. Mm. So if you're not invited, you can't even stumble upon that. Um, so back to women. Maids and house, house staff who did not complete their duties to Mary's standards or made mistakes, no matter how small, or dared talk back or try to defend themselves to their mistress, would be made an example. First, Mary would cut off their breasts. Oh. Yep, then hang them from the tower by their hair. How horrible. Yeah, isn't that nice? What the fuck? I don't know. They did not cook her meat to her requested temperature. Oh. Yeah. No, no tits hang from the tower. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. But surely she must have gotten along with somebody, right? I mean, like, everybody has somebody they get along with. Someone else must love cutting off tits. I mean, yeah, (laughs) just got to find that other tit-cutting person. Perhaps they were in the church, right? Maybe the church, she liked them. Everybody liked the church back then. No. No. Later in life, Mary reportedly had a dispute with the local rector. Mm -hmm. As an Irish Catholic attending Protestant masses at the time, she was none too happy with what she was hearing. And so, rather than continuing to attend a mass she didn't agree with, Mary had Code Church built, where she observed her faith for the remainder of her days. And legends suggest that she did this to upset the local vicar and to show she could do whatever she wanted. Yeah. All right. Yep. Okay. I wonder if she was like pen pals with the blood countess. <laughs> I think the dates are a little off, but they definitely would have gotten along. Yeah. For sure. Well, if she's a witch, they might just be like talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Through, like, through the bounds of time and space. Yeah. Through the veil. Yeah. Okay. That's a trademark. Okay. <laughs> That's good. <really, laughs> <laughs> it's them and Moira Rose. Yeah. <laughs> All in a room. Yeah. That's the ladies' revolution. I love it. Paul Revere comes. Yeah. It's a wild ride. <laughs> the ladies are coming. The ladies are and coming. And it's them. <laughs> no wonder he's afraid. Yeah. This is going somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Take little, keep notes. So things seem to be going pretty well for Mary and Connor O'Brien. They have a castle, lots of stolen sheep and swine, a whole brood of cousin siblings. And there were enough servants and travelers to keep the lady of the house entertained. Everything is going according to plan. Great. But as we all know, perfection such as this cannot last forever. Mm. In 1650, Connor O'Brien was commissioned as Colonel of Horse in the army of Charles II, which is a very silly way of saying he was a high-ranking officer in the Royal Horse Guard. He got to ride a horse. Some people walked around. Can you say that like an Irish accent? Colonel of horse. Colonel of horse. That doesn't sound any better. No, it's the same thing. (laughs) It's not. Yeah, it's silly. It's very silly. Why would you phrase it that way? I don't know. Colonel of the horse guard. Much better. Okay. That sounds like stallion guard. Okay, that's sexy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's (laughs) Colonel of the stallion. That's that's the ruler we all need. But anyway, this is the rank he got. And so because of this, it's time for Connor to fight in some battles. And this seldom goes well for long in the days of all swords and no protection. Mm. In 1651, although I suppose that there were some guns and other things then, but you get what I'm saying. It was not like you were not very shielded. If you went into battle, you were you were probably going to die. Well, they had like armory. 
I guess, yeah. I don't know. There are a lot of casualties. <laughs> yeah. In 1651, Connor entered a battle with Edmund Ludlow, who was Oliver Cromwell's general of horse. Oh. When you're British, you're general of horse. Yeah. I'm sorry. They probably had both. But I assume this was a battle of a bunch of fancy guys on horses fighting it out. For sure. what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Very nice. So Edmund Ludlow and his troops succeeded during this battle in wounding Connor O'Brien gravely. And gravely enough for him and his own horse guard to retreat. So he gets hurt. And they're like, retreat! Oh, okay. Connor is then taken back to his wife at Castle Lamana. And Mary thought the horse guardsman had brought back her husband's lifeless body, which would have been the custom back then. They would say, you know, your husband died in, in battle. We brought him back home so you could give him a proper burial on his family plot. And in this case, you would expect his wife to have a pretty extreme reaction. Yeah. Um, but Mary was not shocked or grief-stricken at this macabre delivery. She was annoyed. Mm -hmm. She said, quote, what do I want with dead men here? I don't know. She's killing them all the time. What am I going to do with this? It yeah. is a hassle. It is. <laughs> she yelled this, seemingly ready to have her husband's body disposed of so she could get on with her life. But then she was gently reminded that he was not actually dead yet. So mm. maybe she has a little use for him. Somebody probably lost a tit over that one. Girl, keep your mouths shut. <laughs> yeah, man, just let her say what she's got to say. He'll speak up if he's alive enough. But hearing this, Mary dutifully does take him back to his chambers and tries to nurse her husband back to health. But um, this is not the height of medicine or cleanliness. And soon, Connor O'Brien died. Okay. Yeah. And this is like within a day. It did not take long. Oh, okay. So she wasn't like that bothered by it. No, no, okay. no. She had like a little bit where she's like trying to have some soup. God, let's put, this is my life. And let's, then yeah, like, let's put a rag on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> His passing was recorded as a hero's death in the records of this battle. So it says okay. Connor O'Brien died a hero's death in this battle. Right. Good for him. Okay. I'm sure all the horses attended the funeral. They all saluted. <laughs> yeah. so 21 horse salute. So Mary, who had come to her senses and remembered the realities of being a woman in 1651, was now afraid. She could not command an army. She could not defend her home as much as she might have wanted to. And for all of the witchcraft she was rumored to practice, she knew that her only real power was power itself, which was something she was running out of by the minute. So it seemed that because of this, she has no husband now. So Mary would likely lose her home because women cannot be like a landowner, can't. Right own an estate, I think Can't what would happen... Yeah, you cannot. I think what would have happened is, like, it might have been passed down to her, their son. Right. If he was able to keep it. But she, she's losing everything. She would lose her fortune, her position, and maybe even her life. Right. Mary advised her sons to surrender to the Cromwellian army, which is really hard to say. So she said, okay, if those guys that killed your dad come back, just surrender. Don't... I don't want anybody else dead. Then... She put on her finest blue silk dress, combed her fiery red hair, and set off for Limerick, where the enemy's army fort was located in her coach. Hmm. So she's looking good. Yeah. She's going to go talk to the enemy. Blue dress with red hair. Yeah. Get it, girl. Complimentary. Yeah. So when Mary arrives at the fort in Limerick, her coach is stopped by a sentry. So the sentries are the guards standing outside mm -hmm. the fort. And one of them's like, who are you? Why would we let you in? She steps out of the coach onto the grounds and calls for the enemy soldiers to come out and have an audience with her. She's like, all right, fine. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. 
which is not done also. Mm-hmm. So eventually they are curious enough to know what this is all about. And so the soldiers emerge. They come out to the little courtyard area to, to see this woman who is shouting. Once they are there and paying attention, she says, quote, yesterday I was Connor O'Brien's wife and today I am his widow. And the soldiers are confused. Mm-hmm. They tell, they look at her and say, we fought with him yesterday. Then he left the battlefield alive. So they, they don't really believe her, right? This could easily be an elaborate ruse to like sneak in and betray the camp or something. Um, so they want proof. Okay, if he's dead, give us proof. Now, remember, Mary's also like went on all those raids with her husband. Right. So people are going to be suspicious of her. It's okay. not like she's just like some lowly bowing woman. She's, yeah. she's a witch and a force. Mm-hmm. So Mary as proof says, okay, you want me to prove it? Fine. In surrender, I will marry any of you guys that'll have me. Mm. If I, my husband was still alive. I wouldn't marry you. And they were like, oh, no, if I trust this, feels still like you could just come in here and kill us all or something. But one soldier was like, you know, on the other hand, she does have a castle. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, I'd have a wife. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll try it. Fine. Whatever. What's the worst that could happen? I'm dead. I'll probably be dead anyway in a battle. It's fine. It's cool. Yeah. So she marries one of Cromwell's soldiers. This marriage secured her home. So now she has a husband. She keeps all of her position. And he's one of Cromwell's soldiers. So she's not in danger from enemy forces at all either. So this kept her safe, right? Mm -hmm. And her children safe, who have now enlisted to fight for the other side. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the safest she could have possibly been. But make no mistake, this was not an act of love. This was not an act of surrender. This was revenge. Yes. So Mary stays married to this young soldier for about a year's time before he is found dead on the castle's grounds. This is one of my favorites. When they find him dead, they're like, I wonder what killed him. Let's examine him. Kicked to the stomach. Oh, man. Got kicked real hard in the stomach. Dead. Maybe one of the horses. Maybe. (laughs) Or is Mary. (gasps) Yeah. Spoiler alert. She's a very strong, very good kicker. Okay. Wait, and so, I'm sorry. These are the British... Soldiers? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the British soldier. So this is the side that like kills her husband, well, okay. her previous husband, her cousin husband. So she's out of husband now. So she just marries another soldier. There's a whole bunch of them. So she'll marry another one of Cromwell's yes. troops, keep her position safe. And this one fell out a window. Oh, man. I know. She has really bad luck. So Mary married another and then another and another. And another. He just kept turning up dead shortly after. I'm surprised they kept marrying her, though, anyway. I like, they know. Just, I guess it's am just because of the castle and, like, her riches. Yeah. And, I mean, like, people did die a lot back then. And there was war going on. And there were, like, you know, people killing each other, I guess. But she was able to get a, and And I know it is implied, but it, she's killing these men one at a time. Right. She's trying to kill off a bunch of people who were responsible for her previous husband's yeah. death. And perhaps the most creative method Mary employed was her old wild stallion. Ooh. Mary had this fearsome beast captured so she could make him her own, but he proved to be unrideable and untamable. And so she kept him in a stone stall. Because this horse was so strong and so, like, 
rageful and wild that it would break out of anything else. You'd think you just wouldn't keep it, but no, she kept it. By the time her current soldier husband came into her rotating gallery, the stallion was quite old and blind, but still full of like pent-up aggression and wild and totally unrideable. But Mary asks her young soldier husband, she's like, you are so brave and strong, right? And you're a horse guard, which means you're an expert rider. Why don't you prove to me how good you are on a horse and how brave you are? Ride my old stallion. Ooh. Uh-huh. And the horse guard said, of course, yeah. I can do anything. I can ride this, this old wild horse. He's old. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. He thought that this was going to be pretty easy. He's seen war. And so he agrees. He mounts the horse, opens the door to the stone stall, and as soon as the the stallion sensed freedom, off he ran at top speed. The soldier tried to direct him, tried to have the horse turn. He tried to stop the horse. He tried to slow him down, anything. But the stallion would not yield. And he ran with all his might and the soldier on his back right off a cliff. (gasps) Oh, mm-hmm. so even the horse died? Yeah, he was old. She didn't care anymore. Man. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Mary's deeds caught up with her. And if we are to believe the stories, one of two things happened. Either she was eventually captured and placed into the cavity of a hollow tree that was way out in the woods, far from human ears. The tree was sealed up tight, and Mary was then left alone to die slowly where no one could hear her scream. Oh, boy. That's not the option I like. Okay. I like the second option. The second option is that one day, while out riding her horse, Mary was trotting along in the woods alone, and the horse was spooked by something unseen. The horse reared back, and Mary lost control. The horse threw her from its back with great force. It, so it threw her far. In the fall, she landed in the forked branches of an old tree that seemed to be able to grab onto her. The tree seemed possessed with a spirit Mm -hmm. and it held her. As she struggled, she became entangled in her long red hair. Mm -hmm. Eventually, after a long enough struggle, the tree seemed to just release its grasp on Mary, but her hair was still tangled in his branches and twisted itself around her neck. When she dropped from the forked bough of the tree, she was hanged with her own hair as the noose. Just like them girls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were her tits gone too? No, she kept her tits. Mm. It's just like trees with his tree hands. That's all he could do. But even in death, Mary will not give up her home in Lamana Castle. To this day, it is said that her ghost wanders the grounds, laughing at the tortured souls her deeds trapped there for all eternity. Mm. So if you go to this castle... It is said that you will not only hear the tortured screams of all of the people she killed, but you will hear her laugh over top of all of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. So now, most of what happened in that story I just told is pretty history books true. But some of it is unprovable, and still more of it is just a legend at its finest. But I wanted to tell it without interruption because it's much better that way. Yeah. Folklorists suggest that the wild number of husbands Mary had. Now, in most retellings of it, it's it's never really the same. So, you know, she married all those soldiers. Anywhere from 12 to 25 Jeez. is the number. Yeah. That's a lot. Even if it's just 12, that's still a lot. Yeah. 
But folklorists think that this number is more uh, related to the love affairs that she had. Okay. That she just kind of like slept with a lot of dudes. Yeah. She didn't kill them, mm-hmm. but she didn't keep them either. According to historical texts, soon after her husband's death in battle, Mary petitioned Charles I's Lord Deputy in Ireland, a man named Ulick Burke or Ulick Burke. Ulick, good one. Yay. She petitioned that gentleman to become the custodian of the O'Brien estate. She was able to secure the land for her children, but she could not retain Lamana Castle, which fell to the Cromwellian army and was turned into a garrison. Oh. So this is like her exact fear when her husband died. She's like, I can get, my children are entitled to some stuff, but I am not entitled to anything. Mm-hmm. By 1653, Mary was recorded as the wife of a former Cromwellian officer, Cornet John Cooper, and was living with him in Limerick for a period after their marriage. So there's like, you know, sen- not census, but like records of them. Usually records are kept at a church. So mm-hmm. it says she's there married to this guy. She later stayed with her O'Brien cousins for a little while before returning to Lamana during the Restoration. Mary and John Cooper are believed to have had a son, Harry, and possibly a daughter. It was John Cooper who is allegedly the husband that Mary killed by kicking him in the stomach. Mm. But sources show that they remained married until her death in 1686, though most likely they lived separately. Okay. It's like they didn't get along forever, but she didn't kick him in the stomach and he dropped dead. Right. In the Dictionary of Irish Biography, which seems like a weird collection of words, (laughs) this is a Dictionary of Biographies. All right. The entry for Mary O'Brien records her death as conventional and that she was in poor health in her 70s and that she made a will. It was signed on the 7th of June, 1686. Her will requested that she be buried at the Abbey of Ennis. And though there is no marker, it is possible that she is buried there alongside her second husband, Connor O'Brien. Others contend that she is buried at Code Church in Kilnaboy Parish with her two daughters. And that is her story. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I think the idea of her like, well, I have no other power other than what I can do as a woman mm-hmm. in this day and age. So I'm one by one, I'm going to marry all of you motherfuckers and kill you. I love it. <laughs> no, yeah. I know. I was like, wow. She has, you've got to find a way to isolate them one at a time. All right. So was she as bad, like, like killing the her servants? There, There is no record of that, but of okay. course there wouldn't, wouldn't have been. Be, yeah. So really, just like the leprechauns, yeah. we don't know that she wasn't. Okay. So yeah. just, can it's more interesting. prove nor disprove. Exactly. It, that is exactly right. Because they yeah. wouldn't have kept a record of every serving person that ended up hanged for an offense or just quote unquote dead or missing. Yeah. So maybe she was horrible. Maybe she wasn't. We okay. don't really know. I mean, it, it's the same thing with the Blood Countess. Maybe she was that horrible and maybe she wasn't. The only record we have of anything the Blood Countess ever did is a journal they said she wrote herself and said that they found. And there are a lot of doubts that that was even of her own hand. Yeah. So again, we just don't know. But it's quite an interesting legend. It really is. Thank you, Holly. And you're very welcome. That is our St. Patrick's Day folklore for the year. Mm. Yes. Um, and we'll have more fun Irish stuff tonight, Wednesday. Yeah. 
or yesterday if you're listening on Thursday or, you know, and so on and so forth. So looking forward to that. Any Irish stuff before we wrap this one up? No. No. I got it all. We'll talk about more tonight. I know. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. All right. Toast? Toast. Or what is it? Uh, Slanta. Slanta. Yeah. To, uh, this is another one where I'm like, I don't know who came off great in this one. <laughs> the first husband? Was he nice? I mean, he was fine. I don't know anything bad about him. Yeah. He didn't, I, I don't know any rating he did. All right. Mm. Did Daniel. The did Daniel. First husband. Okay. To all those poor inbred children. Yeah. Yep. Maybe mm-hmm. they turned out okay. They might have. First generation, sometimes you're all right. Yeah. As long as they married way out of their gene pool mm-hmm. and spread it out. Yeah. What happened to them? If um, any ancestors are listening. I hope you're not because you're probably <laughs> terribly offended. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're not, yeah, let us know. So. Yeah. <laughs> toast. <laughs> Anybody else that we want to toast this week? Um, ooh, just the person that came up with the lore that she was in a hollow tree. That was a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah there's oh, absolutely like, no record he, of that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's like uh, the the one where the tree like kind of is imbued like, with yeah. the spirit. They're like her wicked deeds were so bad that the earth swallowed her. Yeah, they like grabbed her and were like, oh, I'm gonna get you. Nom, nom, nom. Yeah, we got to stop you. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. So good on that tree. Okay. Cheers to that tree. And to the leprechaun guy, because what a fanciful coop. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Yes. To um, Kevin. To Kevin Wood. Yep. McQuilty. Yeah. And his wife, his poor wife. Poor long-suffering wife, who was like, I can't. I just, just tell me you were drunk. And now he just does these tell me. Yeah. Doors. <laughs> She's probably like, fucking hell. Oh, God. You're really... Playing this one out. Yeah. You're not, this is a bit you are committed to. Now there's like a group of you. Oh my God, you brought more. It's like, oh, are you going out with your little friends? I'm going to call <laughs> the women's revolution <laughs> <laughs> to Paul Revere. To Paul Revere. <laughs> Cheers to Paul Revere. All right. <laughs> All right. And if we went a little too far with the revenge and rode our horse out by an old enchanted tree, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod and join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. The British are coming! <laughs> They're all women! <laughs> 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 <laughs>